Senator Jacob Javits predicts that the Nixon administration within six months will begin a drive appealing to workers and employers to improve what he calls the dismal performance in the field of productivity by American industry. Javits says the well-coordinated productivity drive could well include local labor management productivity councils similar to those established during World War II. These councils, he said, took up such problems as productivity, absenteeism, recreation, and motivation. He said there were thousands of councils across the country. Tonight's double at Yonkers Raceway was won by off-track betting letter D, Air New Zealand, and letter E, Mills True Song. Letters D and E paid $24. The feature race won by OTB letter F, Fine Shot, letter F paying eleven twenty three eighty and two sixty. A mixed session today for the stock market. Trading was fairly active with New York exchange volume totaling 17,460,000 shares. Losers outnumbered gainers, 748 to 673, 354 were unchanged. However, Dow Jones Industrials closed up 2.19 at 967.72. Transportation down 0.14, utilities down 0.20, and the price of an average New York common share gained one cent. On the American exchange, sales were 5,788,000 shares. Gainers ahead of losers, 494 to 444, with 288 unchanged. And the Amex index closed up 0.06. Now these notes from the community calendar. Omar Shalua Olatunji, the noted lecturer, writer, and consultant on African culture, will be the master of ceremonies when Africa on stage is performed at the American Red Cross Building, 150 Amsterdam Avenue at 66th Street, tomorrow evening at 8 p.m. Tickets are 250 and may be purchased at the door. Africa on stage is being sponsored by the African Student Aid Fund and the International Center in New York. Tomorrow evening at 8 p.m., the Phi Alpha Fraternity of St. Francis College of Brooklyn is co-sponsoring a Gay 90s Night with St. Joseph's College at St. Joseph's College, 245 Clinton Avenue in Brooklyn. Live entertainment will be provided by the grandmas, grandsons, and admission is $3 for guys, $2 for girls, and $4 for couples. Which hospital services will your insurance cover? If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, Blue Cross, or other health insurance benefits, come to the community night meeting at Methodist Hospital of Brooklyn, Thursday, April 20th at 8.15 p.m. in the auditorium of the Nurses' Residence and 8th Avenue in Brooklyn. Now, we'll have the weather and the top of the news coming right up. This is Lester Smith. I'll be at Cape Kennedy Space Center starting Friday to report preparations and launch of Apollo 16, man's fifth expedition to the surface of the moon. Listen as I describe the liftoff and flight of astronauts John Young, Thomas Mattingly, and Charles Duke as they begin a 12-day space mission, the next Apollo voyage to the moon. For continuous coverage of the Apollo 16 moon trip, tune to WRAM 710. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. The National Weather Service, increasing cloudiness tonight, the low in the mid-40s. Rain likely tomorrow and tomorrow night, the high tomorrow in the mid-50s, the low tomorrow night about 50. The chance for rain Sunday, higher in the mid-50s. Right now in cloudy mid-Manhattan, it's 51 degrees, the humidity 54%. The wind northeast at 9 miles an hour and the barometer rising at 30.03 inches. And the top of the news in brief, Brooklyn couple, victims of double murder. One policeman shot and seriously wounded, two others wounded shortly before noon at a black Muslim mosque in West Harlem. Communist shelling kills 15 civilians in Saigon, another 16 in Da Nang, where 20 U.S. aircraft also reported damaged. 
New York conservative Senator James Buckley sees good prospects that the Vietnam War will be in low gear by the November elections. And that, friends, is the 10 o'clock edition of the news. This is John Scott reporting for Lester Smith, inviting you to hear news as it happens on WOR. I'll be back with you tonight at 11. And to stay tuned now for WOR's resident genius, Gene Shepard, who follows next over WOR New York. Yes, sir. It's old Travis McGee here, and we're ready to lay a goodie on you. The great chicken fairy here. The legendary chicken fairy is going to whip a goodie on you. Uh, hello, test. Uh, please, Al, if you will, let's go quickly. Uh, no, 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 no. That that the thing over there. One, two, three, four. Bring it up. There. Oh, 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 start it over again, Al. Al, Al start start it over again. Start it. We're not going to have. While you're doing that, I'll hit the machine here. Get this hum out of here. There's something in here that causes a terrible hum. Every time I'm in this place, it does it. Hello. All right. All right. All set in there, Al? Okay. Fine. Fine. Right. Mysterious lights play upon the undulating desert sands of the ancient kingdom of Persia. And the sun hangs low in the menacing sky. Yes, it is time... It is time to contemplate the infinite and time to understand that somewhere over the desert sands, the great chieftain pauses atop his fantastic charger, looks out over his sinister band, and gets ready to sing his song. Gets ready to sing to all of his friends and all of his all of his followers everywhere they might be. And by the way, this is also an intro that goes on for over 25 minutes. I'm the Sheik of Antwerpy. Yes, that's right, Alan. Your love belongs to me. 
at night when you're asleep. Yes, here into your tent I'll creep. <laughs> For the stars that shine above. Oh, yeah, just sing it with me, gang. Goodbye, goodbye. This is the original version of this great, terrible classic. You're hearing the original one. from Shoetown, especially for men and boys. <laughs> Fellows, whatever your recreation pleasure, and that covers a lot of ground here, it says whatever your recreation pleasure, be it ball playing or bike riding or swinging or camping or kite flying, jogging or just plain sitting around, you'll enjoy it more in Stripers from Shoetown. What Shoetown? Well, it's the place for men of all ages. It's the one shoe store where you always find first quality brand name merchandise at savings of up to 60%. And what are stripers? Well, they're them groovy little sneakers with the great-looking stripes on the side. Now, here's the best part. They have a great selection of these striper sneakers. Valued, I like to say that, striper sneakers. Valued at up to $8, but priced at just $5.99 at Shoetown. So get over there quick. Quick, Shoetown, where you always find great buys on famous name shoes for the entire family. I'm the sheik of therapy. Let it hey, listen, um, I want you to hear what's going on here. And I, I, I'm going to give you a warning here. Wait just a minute. I'm really bothered by this hum in here today. Wait, I'm going to check something here. Just hold on a minute here. Hold on a minute, King. Hold on a minute, King. That's right. I'm going to try something here. Hello, test. Hello, test. Hello, test. No, that didn't change it much. Hello, test. We get a hum in this studio, and I am going to do something about it because 
It does not always work as a hum. Yeah, hello, one, two, three, four. That's no better. Hello, one, two, three, four. No, nope, one, two, three, four. Hello, test, one, two, no, nope. It's the way it's going to be, gang. It's the way it is. That's the way it is. Wait, I'm going to try something here. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, uh, that's a little better. How's that? That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit better. There. Great. I fixed the equipment. One of those little victories. All right, now I have a, a, a scary story that I'm about to tell <laughs> Not scary, really. Did you hear about this? Any of you out there read this story? Did you hear about the... Uh, I'll read it to you. It says, in separate raids, the police arrested 109 people in Manhattan and central Islip, Long Island. Now listen. Charged them with attending and prompting cockfights in violation of the state's conservation and agricultural laws. Eighty-one suspects were taken into custody when the police entered a five-story loft building on Wooster Street and found them gathered around a large table where two roosters were fighting. Thirty-five game birds were picked up. And they raided a place out on Central Islip, and 25 roosters were picked up there. Well, I heard that story, see. And it got me at a place I haven't been gotten in a long time. I know I have never told this story ever on the air. It's one of those things, you know, certain things happen to you that are so off the wall that you automatically erase it from your memory. You just don't hardly remember it, you know? Now, that's... That's in direct opposition to what most people think. You know, if somebody walked right up to me and says, well, what do you remember out of your life? All right, tell me what you remember. <clears throat> Brack. Well, immediately, I, you know, if, I were, if I were to intellectualize about it, I would say, well, you know, the things I would remember are the great moments in your life that have happened. Not at all. Not at all, because I think that the, the most traumatic things that happen in your life, you just sort of erase really great and you have to think about it and I was like oh yeah wow I remember that night you have to drag it up well I'll tell you I'm going to I'm going to tell you a story now I'm going to warn you it has elements when you just have to form your own opinion <laughs> that's all I got to say now I'm also of another opinion Al if I may throw this at you here friend tonight it's good to work with you by the way uh, I'll throw this out to you do you agree that most men live lives of exemplary dullness. Their lives are straight line. They go to school. They go to college. They meet this girl. They get married. They have two nicely spaced, maybe three, nicely spaced kids. The biggest excitement he ever gets in his life is every two years he gets another Pontiac, right? <laughs> At the... And uh, he, he, he waits from year to year for the ultimate Super Bowl game. That's about it. And one day he shuffles off the mortal coil and that's the end of the ball game for uh, Clarence or whatever his name is, right? Now there's another group. A tiny minority, I will grant you, which because of the accidents of uh, fate, uh, genes, uh, parents, various other things, they live a totally different life. Their lives are generally loaded with alarms and excursions, near misses. <laughs> and the others occasionally read about them and think it's fiction. Well, I 
unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I'm in the second group. Um, and I, I often give thanks to this, you know. <laughs> I really do. I, I don't know what I'd have done had I grown up to become one of these people that really believe in lawnmowers and worry a lot about crabgrass. Uh, that's a totally different kind of person. Worry, you know, year after year, are we going to get the, what do you say this year we get the driveway paved? Come on, we've been putting it up. Big decision. Well, my, I, I don't know whether it's always an unmixed blessing or whether, you know, whether it's a bad scene. But I'm just going to tell you exactly what happened to me one time. And don't, don't say, well, what do you mean? How can this kind of stuff happen? It did happen. I'm just telling you it happened. Because my life has lived generally up to this point on the very knife edge of respectability. Now, not necessarily respectability. Let's say sheer and total disaster. Now, uh, all right, I'll just tell it to you the way it was. I'm in college. Now, a lot of you say, Shepard, you never tell us stories, but when you were in college, right, I'll tell you. It's the summertime. It's hot. And uh, I'm a GI type student, you know. Got a couple of bucks in my pocket, and I got a job in the summertime. And I'm out in this town in the Midwest, which for want of a better name, we will call Cincinnati. That's an old Indian name. Obviously, there's no town actually named that, but uh, we will call it that so that we will not uh, put the... Uh, Guilty in the tight spot, right? So I'm out in this town. Now, uh, this town, this hypothetical town, is right across the river from a hypothetical state which we will call Kentucky. Now, the river goes right through this, this place. It is a big river. That old river rolls on. Don't do nothing. Just keeps rolling on. That old man river. That's the Ohio River. Now, on hot nights in Cincinnati... The, the temperature and the humidity combine to almost bust your head right outside from inside your ears. I mean, oh boy. I mean, whew. I mean, that the, 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 the air just lays there sometimes for weeks in August. Late July, it doesn't move. It just lays a great big fat watermelon of hot air. But about 97% humidity, it gets so hot that you can't believe it's that hot. In fact, sometimes the heat out in Cincinnati reminds you of a 375-pound lady sitting on a camp stool at a Fourth of July picnic. It's just hot. It just sits there. Well, on this particular night, I'm, uh, I, I, I feel the itch. Now, this is a dangerous thing. I, I, I think that many people who are of the innocent type, who live the straight line life, have never felt the itch. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of the straits, this is WOR New York. And uh, before we go any further, I think we ought to lay a goodie here. The old, the old uh, legendary chicken fairy is going to lay a general tire goodie. A general tire goodie right on you. <laughs> yeah, listen to that. Oh, nothing like those bugles blowing. Listen to this friend, strong four-ply nylon cord general jet tubeless white walls. They're having a big sale in the popular size, which everybody loves. Six fifty thirteen now anniversary price at only sixty-six dollars for a complete set of four tires. General excise taxes one seventy-five per tire. 
And for big car owners, they got a lot of great sales there going for the bigger ones. So mount your general jet light walls today, but hurry, sale ends Saturday the 15th, April. It's at the home of the big red general tire G, your one-stop car care headquarters. Bring it up large. Oh, bring it out. If you're going to take a vacation in Europe, go where the Europeans go, to Portugal. Yeah, they still have that great old world charm. And at TAP, they have the perfect way for you to enjoy everything from those fantastic ancient castles and quiet countryside of the Fado music. They have a two-week royal treatment tour of Lisbon, the Algarve, and Madrid for only $409 a person and a two-week royal treatment tour of Portugal and Spain for only $453 a person. These and their many other tours include round-trip economy airfare, prices subject to government approval. This, believe me, is going to be the year that Portugal becomes the first country in Europe to visit. So call your travel agent or TAP for complete details. The number in New York is 421-8500. Take a European vacation where the Europeans do Portugal. And while we're on the subject of commercials, do you have a car commercial in there for you? Yeah, I knew you did, Al. I'll drop you at home, Sally. Oh, good. By the way, do you like your new Edsel? It's marvelous. I've been driving it for a month, and I haven't put a drop of gas in. Confidentially, her husband buys the gas. But the 1959 Edsel does have an eye-opening economy story, and this is John Cameron Swayze with the facts. First, Edsel is built to be the most distinctive car on the road, yet it's priced with Plymouth, Chevrolet, and Ford in the popular price field. So you get extra economy when you buy Edsel because you get more for your money. More size, more room, more comfort. More solid value for every dollar you invest. Second, you get extra economy when you drive Edsel. You choose from four engines that include three V8s and a thrifty six. So if you are tired of paying too much for look-alike cars, see the distinctive new Edsel at your Edsel dealers soon. You'll also find the all-new 1959 Edsel at many Mercury dealers. Hmm, that's very nice. John Cameron Swayze here. Uh, would you uh, please give me a little echo chamber, if you will, Al? I have a little goodie to lay on the crowd. Pow! 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 <laughs> I knew you'd like that. Uh, we're going to do a little benefit, gang. Uh, WPRB presents uh, Guess Who? Gene Shepard at Alexander Hall, Princeton University, Saturday, April 22nd at 8.30 p.m. This will be the fourth consecutive year under the auspices of WPRB, the Princeton College radio station. We're going to do a little benefit for them there. Wonderful, dynamic WPRB that brought you Doc Savage, and now bring you... <laughs> for tickets, send $3.50 a ticket, check it, or money order, and make it out to WPRB with a stamped self-addressed envelope, too. And here's the address. WPRB, Box 342, Princeton, New Jersey. WPRB, Box 342, Princeton, New Jersey. Or pick up your tickets right now at the Princeton University Store, 36 University Place, Princeton, New Jersey. Don't forget the date again. It's Saturday, April 22nd at 8.30 p.m. Alexander Hall, Princeton University. A benefit for WPRB. Pow, 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 pow. Why do I have to do that pow business? That's ridiculous. 
And uh, we got one more other little goodie to lay on you here. Let's see, the commercial reads, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Announcer, use your own ingenuity and skill. To s oh, I see, my own ingenuity and skill. You're a great salesman or you wouldn't be where you are. Well, uh, <laughs> I like those little compliments. That's kind of nice for the agency there. Uh, Costa del Sol. Costa del Sol. Costa del Sol. That's C-O-S-T-A. Costa D-O de Sol. Sol is Portuguese for sun. Costa de Sol is the sunshine wine imported from the sun coast of Portugal, where the sun shines 350 days a year, producing the finest rosé grapes in the world. And by the way, this stuff is very lightly uh, sparkling. It has a very light, you know what I mean, bubbles, a little light carbonation. It's just great. It's a bright, light rosé. Uh, it's available in four quarts. Not the, the, the traditional 23 or 24 ounce bottles, but the big quart bottles of rosé. And uh, you just look up Costa do Sol. That's good Portuguese rosé wine, and you'll love it. It'll go at anything, friends. And by the way, Costa do Sol vintage rosé imported by the Allens of M.S. Walker Incorporated, Boston, Massachusetts. You look that wine up. It's a goodie. Costa do Sol. Sol. I'll tell you what I like rosé with. Rosé, if it's, if it's nicely chilled and in very thin glasses, goes beautifully with... Uh, with uh, well, did you ever have chicken fixed with herbs in the French style? Oh, what a combination. You look up Costa do Sol, Costa do Sol, Dio, Costa do Sol, Rosé. Now, I've got to tell you a story. All set now? Well, I guess it was the heat. You know, the heat makes people do things they wouldn't do, I mean, if they were being normal, you know? It was the heat. And it was, it was a night, it was like on a Friday night, weekend, I got off work, it was about midnight. I had this show, this late show, on a really bad radio station. Oh, it was a bad one. Have you ever, I mean, have you ever listened to a bad radio station? Well, friends, if you think that's bad, you ought to work at a bad radio, I mean, a real bad one. And it was just depressing. I mean, even the wallpaper was depressing. Everything was depressing. And the, just the whole thing, the equipment was grimy, and they had grimy listeners. It was a grimy radio. So you know the kind? Eh. And it was one of those bad summers. And I had an engineer who also had the itch. And the, he was going to school, too, see, both of us, born in the same school. And the one night, uh, I, I finished at midnight. He was off at midnight, see. And the two of us got out on the street after this, oh, that shift. The, the, the shift on this job. You ever had a job with a shift? You work eight hours, and the shift seems to go on for months. Yeah, months. We got out in the street. It was still hot out there, but you could smell the river. And the itch was on us, the madness. And the, it was Friday night. We had the whole weekend ahead of us. We both had the weekend off, see. So I walked down the street with Bob, and, and the, he says to me, uh, how about a beer? I said, not a bad idea, Bob. What do you say? Let's get down to Grammar's. And he said, okay. 
this is a bar where everybody hung out, you know, all the people on radio and that. They come in there late at night after the theater and stuff. So we walked down the street and we walked into this bar. And little did we realize that destiny was approaching us. <laughs> destiny. It quite often begins with a moment in the bar, I have discovered. So we walk in the bar and the bartender behind us named Louis. So I said to Louis, I said, Louis, how about throwing two beers? I am setting Bob up here to a beer. I'm buying the first one. He says, do you want the bottle beer or do you want it out of the tap? I said, I want a draft, one of those big ones. So he says, okay. You know, up comes the head. He draws one for Bob. There's a whole crowd up and down the bar there, back and forth. Guys we knew, some of them we didn't. So we both had our beers. We're eating the pretzels. And the first sip of that beer in that hot summer night after an eight-hour shift in that rotten, stinking salt mine of a radio station. Oh, did it taste good. Oh, yeah. Boss. Oh, some things you can't describe. I said, that's right, Bob. We're standing here, and all of a sudden, I noticed to my left a friend of mine who worked at another radio station, who a little shifty guy. This is a, he's a guy, one of those guys, you know, that is like a journeyman. Uh, uh, I don't know, you know, he's always on the edge of respectability. <laughs> there he is down there, and he's having himself a couple of fingers of uh, wild turkey bourbon. So I waved to him and says, how are you, Bruce? So okay. He says, how are you guys? I said, okay, Bruce, you off shift? And he says, yeah, I am. You say, you guys got anything going tonight? I said, no, I haven't. It's a mistake. When somebody comes up to you, lays that on the bar, right in front of you there, just like one of those, one of those anchovies with salt on it, you better be careful. He says, you doing anything tonight? And I said, no, I'm not. And Bob, my friend, says, no, I'm not either. He says, listen, you guys want to do something really great tonight? And by this time, three or four guys in the bar are looking down because they figured there's some action, see? So he says, so you want me to do something great tonight? Said, are you, are you, are you, and so uh, Bob says, what do you, what do you mean? What, what, what do you got? He says, well, I can't tell you here. How can you ignore that kind of an invitation? He says, I can't tell you. So five minutes later, after the second beer, me and Bob and Bruce are in his convertible Dodge this old battered Dodge, and we are driving across the river into Kentucky. <laughs> We're about halfway across the bridge. It's a great big suspension bridge. It goes over this river, and you could smell the catfish. You could smell the water. You could smell that, that green algae that comes floating down from out of the hills, the Kentucky hills. And, oh, you know, it's the life force you're smelling. And we drive over into Covington, Kentucky, and Bruce is being very hip. He's not telling us at all where we're going. He says, you guys wait. He says, man, you're going to have more. You got any money with you? I said, well, yeah. I got paid this morning. I got a couple of bucks in my pocket. And Bob said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding. He said, I'm okay. He said, I'm glad you got some dough. He said, you're going to have some, you're going to have some excitement tonight. He said, something like you've never seen before. He said, now, don't tell nobody where you're going. He says, if, you, if, if tomorrow morning, don't tell anybody you've seen it. He said, but it's going to be fantastic. So we drove through Covington. And Covington on a, on a Friday night on the weekend, you can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, the White Castle is loaded with guys looking for gay, you know, real big-time bear. And they, you can see the bars swinging, and you can hear Roy Acuff's voice drifting out of all those hillbilly bars up and down the street. You know, So we drove right through town. We drove through another little town. Now we're on a couple of side streets. We drive up a gravel road. We make a turn. We're driving up 
a long, thin, one narrow asphalt pathway through the trees. We make another turn. We're now on the gravel road again. We make another turn, and now we're going up a clay, two-track, bumpy road up through the woods. And by this time, I'm really excited, see? I'm saying, man, where are you not going here, Bruce? He said, wait, wait. And we're going boom, boom, in and out of the potholes. It's dark. We make a turn through the woods, and there before us is an old house, exactly like the Charles Adams type house. Great big old house, got turrets all over it, and bay windows, and there's a barn in the back. And uh, about 50 cars are parked around it. It's 50 cars in front of this place in the woods. What the hell is this, you know? And uh, Bruce jumps out of the car, we park the car. He jumps out of the car, and I get out the other side. Bob gets out. We go walking through amid all these cars. It's dark. There's nothing there. It's dark. But a lot of cars. Something's happening, see. We go around the side of the house. Excitement is mounting. And now we are in the back of the house, right? There is a barn. There's an old garage there. A lot of weeds and trees and stuff. It's dark. Oh, I'm telling you, it's darker than the inside of a Mets baseball cap. I mean, it's really dark. And there's this big barn. Bob walks up to the door there, and he looks around. And Bruce says, now, wait a minute. Let me take care of it. Now, you stand back. You two guys, you've never been here. Let me stand. Let me, let me take care of it. He walks up to the barn. There was a door on the side. He goes, and we're waiting, man. I'll tell you, the excitement is mounting. And we can hear noises now coming from inside the barn. You can hear voices and people. And the door opens a little crack. There's this guy wearing a great big black hat looking out. Just one eye. He says, yeah, you, Bruce? Bruce says, yeah, that's me. It's me, Luke. He says, who you got with you? He says, that's all right, okay. He says, you sure now? And Bruce says, yeah, they're okay. They're friends of mine. He says, are they holding? They got money? And Bruce says, yeah, they got money. The door swings open just a crack, just wide enough to let us in. Just wide enough to let us in. Well, Bruce goes in first, sideways. I follow him, and after him comes Bob. And I am hit instantly by the smell. Strange, heady, yet familiar, very rich smell. <laughs> and it's dark in this place black, except over on the one corner there is a doorway that goes down inside. They, it, it, they, under this barn, apparently, when they had this house in full swing, somebody had made a cellar under the barn. I could see light coming out of the door. What's that smell? Bruce says, come on, let's go. We don't want to miss this. Come on, let's go. So we walk up to the door and the door swings back. Down we go. And I can't believe the scene that I see. Fantastic scene, hanging from the ceiling of the cellar is a great big green shade with about a 400 watt bulb in it, and it is bright, and it's hanging down low, and the light is falling on what looks like a big flat round disk of sawdust sawdust about 10 feet around and around the sawdust is a fence maybe 3 feet high painted green 
right there in the middle of that blackness. And it took me about a, maybe a minute or two for my eyes to get to get used to that darkness. I look around, I see all these people. I see all these guys in black hats all around me. And they're all around this, this little arena made out of sawdust with a green wall. And then I start hearing these sounds. I hear these guys muttering, talking back and forth. And they're waiting. I hear these sounds. I hear these sounds. What am I hearing? And then through the crowd comes two guys, each with a box, great big box, with a wire chicken on it, chicken wire on the side of it. One guy's got a big black hat, and the other guy's not got no hat at all. He's got a crew cut, and they're both carrying these boxes. The first one steps right over this three-foot high green fence, and now he's standing under that light. He's all by himself out there in the light. He looks around the crowd, and I hear guys out. Hey, come on, let's go, Frank. You give him hell tonight. You give him hell tonight. I want to see Big Red when you move there. Come on, boy. And he opens up the box, which is now resting on the sawdust, and out into the light comes the meanest, on the muscle chicken I ever saw in my life. And he stands up straight, and I see what it is right away. It's a great big green and black and red rooster. And he has got little hoods over each eye. You ever seen a hooded rooster with a big yellow gold beak? He stands up tall. He's skinning his neck, looking around. He's just moving his neck around. And once in a while, his mouth opens. It goes, ah, ah, ah. He's standing up real tall. And then I see the man is adjusting something on his feet. It's the first time I've ever seen him. He's putting these little, these little bracelets down around the bottom of his feet, you know, where the claws come out there, those big yellow claws sticking out there into that sawdust. He's putting this little bracelet on the bracelet, this leather bracelet. Never seen anything like it. Two great, big, mean-looking, silver-flashing, razor-sharp blades. Yeah, he's got these hook-shaped steel claws he's strapping on him. And then he adjusts them very careful. And then they stick out there about three inches. And that big old rooster's walking around. He's looking. He's trying to look through that... He's trying to look through that that mask he's got over his eyes. You can see he's looking back and forth. And the guys are all watching him in the darkness. All these men are leaning forward, watching this big, red, mean-looking rooster. Mean one. And then the other guy steps down into the ring, the guy with a crew cut. And he lowers his box down to the sawdust. I could see the crowd waiting, and that other big rooster's moving around real mean, like now he's backing up against the wall, because he can smell something. But he doesn't know quite what it is, because he can't see, but he can smell something. He's moving back, he's moving back now. The guy with a crew cut opens up that box. And there's a pause, and then out into the light steps. Contestant number two. first one was mean. This one made the first one look like one of the Bobsy twins. 
black with a few green flecks down the front. Great big red comb. And he was wearing a white mask, two little white plastic things over his eyes. And he stepped out and he started to walk. Stiff-toed around the ring, real high. He was picking his feet up, real high. And the first one starts backing off into that green fence. I could see right away he's about eight or nine inches shorter than that, that big black one that just come out. And he could smell him now. And at that moment, the boys in the, in the audience starts to mutter back and forth to each other and I could see the flash of ten dollar bills and they're making their bets they're placing their bets now back and forth this one guy keeps saying I'll give you he says I'll, I'll get I'll put ten he says I'll put ten on red I'll put ten on red anybody's got anybody's got three for, for blackie anybody's got three for blackie and the odds were three to one in favor of blackie apparently he said I'll put ten down if somebody's got three tens to lay on blackie and they're all muttering back and forth. And I could see these $10 bills moving back and forth. And these two men out in the arena, each one's got a hold of his rooster and he's waiting. Got him by the, just by the chest, just holding him back like that. They both have these masks on. And you could see their head moving around back and forth. They're sniffing the air. If you can hear a chicken sniff, if you can hear a rooster smell the air, he, you know he's smelling the air. His neck is getting high like a snake. Has it ever occurred to you that roosters look a lot like snakes under certain ways, certain conditions? Their head goes high and they stand tall on their talons and each one's got those big three-inch glittering steel razor sharp. Those evil-looking knives attached to their legs. And I look over at Bob and I said, Bob, what is this? Is this the cockfight? He said, I always heard of him. This is the first time I've ever seen one. I said, me too. And Bruce is already deep in conversation with about five guys all around him there. And they're exchanging money. And they're laying it out on the hat there. And they got a little two by four. And they're putting money on it. Talking back and forth. I don't know what this is all about. And I'm waiting. And now all the transactions are done. The two men stand out there, and one of them stands up real tall. The guy with a black head. He saw you guys ready now. You all set? Somebody want to put anything extra on Red? Oh, Red's gonna give him hell tonight. I tell you, Red's feeling it. He's gonna give him hell. There's dead silence, and somebody in the back hollered, "Let her go, Clarence. Let's go." And then two men then face each other across the ring. And the two roosters are ready for action. And then the third man steps into the ring, the referee. And he turns to each man in his turn and says, You ready, Clarence? Clarence says, Yeah. <laughs> turns to his right and he says, You ready, Frank? Frank says, Yep, sure am. He's all right, boys. When I drop the handkerchief, let him go. And it's this white handkerchief which he holds outside the ring, see? The two men are standing there with their hands on the back of the heads of the roosters. Each one's getting ready to release those two little clips that hold those masks on. He said, all right, ready, boys? Okay, she's all yearning. 
and he drops that white thing. And instantly, the two masks fly off. And the two men get out of the ring. And there they stand. There they stand, looking at each other. These two fantastic fighting roosters. The little red one. Little one. <laughs> little one, nothing but solid gristle. He was about three feet tall. And the big black one, about four and a half feet tall. Solid bone and gristle and muscle. And evil red eyes. And two of them back off for a second. And then all of a sudden, the black one, the big one, he just moves forward. And he leaves his feet high in the air. Ah! And down he comes with those two flashing talons. And Red moves like a snake to his left. The big black one lands in the sawdust. He missed him completely. He leaps up again. Ah! Those flashing talons. The little red one moves forward. And his, his beat just goes pow, pow, pow. Three quick shots like that at the head. Pow, pow, pow. And now I see a flat, a flash of blood that just sprays out across that green fence. That little red one is scorched. The big black one moves back and he goes up again in the air. Ah, ah, down he comes with those flashing knives. Sap. I see a feather go up in the air. And the big black one is scored. And now the two of them are circling around each other because both of them smell blood. Each other's blood. And the crowd is leaning forward. One after the other, they're beginning to shot. Hey, hey, two, come on, come on in, come on in. I hear somebody else, Blackie, come on, Blackie, finish him off. Come on, Blackie. I can't tell you what a scene it was. And that yellow light bulb hanging over that sawdust now, speckled with, speckled with red. Suddenly, zap, bam, it's all over. The men start paying off the bets. And I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat. What have I seen? Bruce is all excited. He is 145 bucks on the first meet. The two men leave with their boxes. One of the roosters won. The other one will never fight again. That's the way that game is. I turned to Bruce and I said, Bruce, let's get out of here. And Bob, next to me, his face is as white as a sheet. He says, I can't stay. I can't stand anymore. This. Oh, it's fantastic. And Bruce says, what do you mean? You guys want to go? I said, yeah, come on, Bruce. I don't like this. Something funny about this. Sure. Well, okay. I knew I shouldn't have brought you guys. And five minutes later, we're rolling down the gravel road. In silence, the three of us. In the blackness. In the darkness of the soul. And now we're back out on the main highway. The heat's banging down. And Bruce, who's driving the car, turns to me and he says, Boy, did you ever see anything like that? What do you think of them two birds? I didn't say anything. Bob didn't say anything. We just rode back to town, quiet. We stopped off at the White Castle and picked up a sack of hamburgers. Didn't say much else. 
Bruce dropped us off at the bar. Neither one of us mentioned it after that. It's the first time I ever told you that story, isn't it? Like I said, some men spend their lives going out to Shea Stadium, buying gas-driven lawnmowers and worrying about crabgrass. Then there's the others who see glimmers, glints in the great desert of existence, who see things that the others never even dreamed of. <laughs> yes, it was one of the evil nights of my life, but a strange, curious, primal night. Those two mean roosters circling around each other, sniffing the air, with those little plastic masks over those red eyes with nothing but hate in them. Nothing but hate. <laughs> John Scott and the News. North Vietnamese ground forces and tanks are again trying to capture An Loc, the South Vietnamese provincial capital 60 miles from Saigon. The town was hit by an estimated 300 rockets and other shells, and nine tanks entered the city. Eight of them were reported destroyed by South Vietnamese defenders and U.S. aircraft. Farther north, rocket fire hit Da Nang, South Vietnam's port city, and at least 20 people were killed, most of them civilians. Apollo 16, the next to last of the present series of moon landings, is all set to go on Sunday. WOR's Lester Smith reports tonight from the Kennedy Space Center on late preparations for the launch. The tremendous importance being placed on the significance of the geological explorations to be made by Apollo 16 astronauts John Young and Charles Duke during their extravehicular activities on the moon's surface was further evidenced today by the fact that the Apollo 16 team spent part of the afternoon with Dr. Farouk Galbars, the mission geologist, again reviewing the geological questions which hopefully their lunar surface explorations will help to answer. Each of the four preceding Apollo mission lunar explorations has provided information concerning the Ian's old mysteries of the moon's surface, its composition, and what helped bring about the structure of the moon. The scientists believe that each exploration of the moon has not only provided some answers, but has led to more questions to be answered. The geological studies